Well, we're also told growing up there are certain things we don't talk about in polite company. We don't talk about politics and we don't talk about religion, right? Those are the two things we're told not to talk about. Well, I have to be honest with you, it's really hard for me not to talk about religion. It's literally my job. It's not that hard for me to not talk about politics publicly. And so this is an interesting day for for me and probably for you because I usually don't say much of anything about this subject in this space because I don't think it's usually wise. But in these days, it's interesting to talk about the intersection of faith and politics and what do we do with that. And so I'm here today to some of your disappointment. I'm not endorsing any candidate or any party, just so we're clear. But I will tell you about my first experience with politics when I was in third grade. I will tell you, by the way, I'm just going to pause for a second. By the way, um, this Wednesday night, we will probably have several hundred, if not a thousand people come through our parking lot for trunk or treat. Um, So if you have candy, bring it. If you have a car with a trunk or a sliding door, show up. Um, It'd be awful if there were like 10 cars here and hundreds of people. So there you go. So you can sign up in the foyer before you leave today. We'd love for you to be a part of that. But when I was in third grade, I'll never forget, we had our first school vote, right, uh, to be on the student council and all those kind of things. And it happened to be the 1992 presidential election that year. And so in my third grade, Mrs. Lewis classroom, we voted for president. George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton won in that classroom. Ironically, if that third grade class could vote always, we'd always know who would win, right? Um, But that was the first time I had seen people kind of talk about politics. And what I've found, especially over these last few election cycles, is people have talked about it a lot, both inside and outside the church. Some gracious, some not so gracious. So what's obvious to all of us in this is nothing divides like politics. Nothing divides like politics. Um, Maybe you've heard some of these kind of phrases. Republicans are trying to take away your vote. Democrats are trying to take away your guns. If the president is reelected, the world is going to end. If that Democrat is reelected, the world is going to end. What are people so afraid of? Loss. Afraid of loss. Right? What might we lose? Control, opportunity, wealth, freedom. Policy, progress, white people fear what might happen, black and brown people fear what has happened previously. For them, it's not theory, it's history. We're afraid. See, um, one of the things that I love about this community of faith, and it becomes abundantly clear the more I look at your social media feeds, we're going to talk about those in a second too, but um, we represent really both sides of politics. People feel like this can be their church who find themselves voting for Democrats or voting for Republicans who are affiliated with the party, who are not affiliated with the party, who are independent, who are indecisive, and who frankly don't care. All of you feel like this can be your home. And so I was, I'm hopeful that that's always the case, that we always feel like we can be above the politics, that, that the community of faith can exist in such a unique way that people of all walks of life, all backgrounds feel like this church and the church can be their home. But I gotta be honest with you. um, I've had some interesting conversation these last few weeks 
I had planned this series out a long time ago. And I just finished a conversation with some people in our church um, who have talked with me about they have struggled, right? And I don't know how to, to say this well. They have lost a ton of respect and, have dis, and, and are not able to allow certain people to have spiritual influence on their life based on political posts. Now, some of those people are inside this church. Some of those people are outside this church. See, here's the reality. Some people, have, we have forsaken our opportunity to lead spiritually by arguments politically. And so they've watched these political posts and said, I used to think this person like, was so Christ-like, and then I see what they post. And all I can say is, I see it too. But that's not who Jesus is, and there are still some who that's not true for, and so how do we look past this? How do we begin to see differently? So here are some words from Wesley. We have an image for you that I think it's helpful. Uh, but I want us to embrace this. I hope you can see this. But, but Wesley had three rules for voting. And he encouraged those people and, who voted everywhere to embrace these. Vote for the person you judge most worthy. Fair. Speak no evil of the person you voted against. Oh, that one's a lot harder. And this one's vital. Take care your spirits are not sharpened against those who voted on the other side. What if, what if we could disagree politically and love unconditionally? What if that was possible? What if we could disagree politically and love unconditionally? And so here's a question I want to ask. It's a question I think is helpful. It's a question that honestly is difficult, and so I will ask it. And you're going to have to pause on it for a second because it is not a question you want to answer well. It's this question. Are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than create a version of your faith through the filter of your politics? Probably all of you are going to be ticked at me when this is over, and I'm okay with that. But at least maybe we'll think, and we'll wrestle, and we'll begin to ask the question, what does Christ call me to? By the way, if you're not a Christian today, you can literally ignore about 50 to 75% of what I say for your own life. But if you are a Christian today, my challenge is that you would listen in and lean in, because some of what we're going to talk about is difficult. You see, most Christians aren't willing to filter their faith or their politics through their faith rather than the other way around. And I think Jesus might have known this was going to be an issue. So we're going to look at several verses from John chapter 17. And Jesus, it seems like he always kind of knows the nature of human hearts better than we do. And so here's what Jesus says. John 17, verse 1. Here's what we find. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you. Now I gotta stop for a second because what's interesting here is Jesus is saying this, he's about to die. He's about to be crucified. So the moment when Jesus was most glorified, you and I would have been most horrified. What he saw as the glorification of God in the fullness of love, we see is horrific. Okay, moving on. Verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they, they, by the way, are those who are his followers. They are them. They are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that, 
So why are we to be protected? What's the point of this so that? So that why? Why are you protected? Here's why. They may be one as we are one. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. I'll pause for a second. Did you catch that? So what are we protected from? Not like, not even evil, not the enemy, not that other political party. Protected from what? From not becoming one. One, unity, unification, the same, on the same page. And he goes on to say, my prayer is not for them alone, okay, meaning those who already are my followers or those who are my followers, but I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. In other words, who is that that's going to believe through the message? Hopefully everyone. So I want everyone to believe in me. I want all people. And so we're praying for all people. Who, who are these all people? Brown, black, white, rich, poor, middle class, Republican, Democrat, independent, indecisive, all of them. This is who Jesus is praying for. And then why he says that they may be what? They may be one. That all people everywhere may become one. Why? Through my glory, which was what? Crucifixion and resurrection. What Jesus is trying to say here is that for the sake of the mission, it was imperative that we seek to be one. By the message that we embody, those who don't yet know Jesus might come to know him. All right, I know, I know this is hard. That's why Jesus is actually praying this. What's he going to say in verse 21? He says this, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that, he keeps using these words so that, they're kind of important, so the world may believe you have sent me. So we're supposed to be one in him as he is in the Father. Why? So that the world may know that Jesus was sent by the Father. So how are we supposed to live? How are we called to live in the midst of chaos all around us? How are we supposed to live in the midst of tumultuous political times? How are we called to live? See, Jesus actually answered this already, if we go back to John 13, in these verses, in 34 and 35, where he says this, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Okay, Jesus, I kind of get it. You're telling us that we're supposed to love each other. Cool, kumbaya, we'll sing at the campfire. Got it. Do we? Do we got it? I mean, did you catch the world is to know Jesus by our love? He doesn't say they're to know you by your political party, by the candidate you voted for, by the way you put down the other party and the other candidate. They're going to know you by that. No, I can't find that there. I keep looking, but it isn't there. Instead, he says this, he goes on in verse 22. I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are 
one. Again, he keeps coming back to this idea that we're to be one as he is one. I in them and you in me. And then catch this line. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Unity doesn't mean we think the same policies are the best idea. We voted for the same candidate or we picked the same party for different reasons. That's not what unity means there. Unity for why we live. Unity of purpose. Not politics. So here's what he goes on to say in verse 23. Then, if we seek unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Did you catch that? Did you catch this, what he's trying to say here? Our purpose is to be so united in love that the world might know Jesus. What's the purpose Jesus gave? In fact, it's the last thing we see recorded in the book of Matthew. He says what? He says, go and make disciples of what? All nations. I mean, he doesn't say go make Israel great or go make Rome great. No. He says, go make disciples of all nations. Even, you know, those, yep, them too. Huh. You see, um, I want you to catch this line. These words by Andy Stanley. Your candidate will win or lose based on how America votes on a Tuesday in November. The church will win or lose based on our behavior every day between now and then. You see, we shouldn't let anything or anyone divide us. It was Christianity, not a political party, that began to shape Western civilization. It was Christianity, not a party, who began to help people see what justice and dignity and value and worth were. It was Christianity who did that, not not a political party or candidate. You see, throughout our short history as a nation, um, what you'll find is that both our political parties have gotten it radically wrong. That political leaders from either side of the aisle have fallen short morally. Their character is flawed. They've not been hope-giving. In fact, many parties in our short history as a nation don't even exist anymore. Like, do we vote for the Whig Party anymore? A couple of presidents were from the Whig Party. The Federalist Party, I don't think it exists any longer. Did you know that there used to be a Democratic-Republican Party? One. Go figure. So here's the question. So why as followers of Jesus, who we see as eternal king, why would we allow elected officials, temporary elected officials, to divide us? Why? Because here's what I'll tell you. Um, In four years, there'll be another election. And likely four years after that, and every time I hear the same things, oh, this person gets elected and the world is going to end. Last I checked, they don't have that much power. Last I checked, I don't put my hope in a political party 
or candidate. So why would we allow a political position or party that we may abandon or outgrow? Why would we allow that to divide a living, breathing person who might sit next to us? The you beside you. The neighbor you. The coworker you. The person who doesn't agree with you. What might happen if for the sake, what if we were willing to fight for, to struggle for, to sacrifice for the sake of the person who doesn't yet know Jesus? This is what Jesus is inviting us to. This is what the call is to be citizens of God's kingdom. This is why Jesus is praying for oneness because it's greater than any party and even greater than any one country. So what might happen if we begin to say this? I want to love unconditionally someone with whom you or I disagree with politically? What if we loved unconditionally someone with whom we disagree with politically? For some of us in this room, that's a hard concept. Some of us who are joining us online, you maybe have already clicked off this and aren't listening anymore, but at least people are stuck in the room. I know you're saying right now, well, well, Aaron, like that's pretty naive, right? You think we can actually love people who disagree with that much with us? You really think the mission of God is greater than the mission of any nation? You really believe that? I know, I know, I know. It's naive. But Jesus sounded pretty naive when he said, I'm going to take these 12 people and I'm going to build my church, my ecclesia, my movement, and not even the gates of hell will overcome it. And yet, and yet, the church is still here today. So maybe we're not careful we call Jesus Lord, we should actually let him be Lord and nothing else come in the way. I told you, if you don't believe today, you got to get a, get a copy. You got to eavesdrop on what Christians are called to live into. And, and you got to get a listen and think maybe, oh, well, if that's what it was, if that's what the church represented, if they really loved like that, then maybe, maybe I would be into this. So this week I was talking about this series and the sermon and I was talking to Pastor Holly and um, she shared a line. I said, oh, that's really good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that on Sunday. She said, are you really? I said, I really am. I'm going to quote you in it too because I'm not going to take it because it's pretty good. So she asked this question. She said, do people know who I vote for more so than they know who I live for? Some of us may want to go check our social media feed and then re-ask that question. For some of us, we may want to see where we spend our time and re-ask that question. Are we Christians who happen to live for Jesus or not? In fact, I'll ask this other question. This is a hard question, and I'll, I'll ask it but because I think it's good. Are we Christians who happen to live in America or Americans who happen to be Christian. Now, you're like, well, are you picking on America? Well, I would say the same thing if I was in France or Nigeria or Zimbabwe or any other country in the world. I would ask that exact same question. Are we known more by who we vote for than who we live for? Are we known more for being Christ followers, being citizens of his kingdom or citizens of this Do your civic duty. Vote. It's fine. Be engaged. But don't forget, if you call Jesus Lord, you have a primary allegiance that trumps all other things. 
And you go, what does it look like to live into that way? How do we live in that way? Well, there's actually a pretty good look. Uh, we can talk about the Israel, nation of Israel in exile. They were called to be the people of God, and they found themselves living in a nation that was not their home, which, as Christians, we say we are always resident aliens. And how were they called to live? How did God call them to live when they were in this place of exile? They were called to live in this unique way, to work for the good in which the community in which they lived. Work for the good. In fact, he said, plant vineyards, build homes, care for your community, be good citizens. But the challenge for us who call Jesus Lord is to recognize that some level, earth in its current state is not our home. That God desires to redeem and restore all that is broken and create a new heaven and a new earth. And so there'll be a day when it's restored and there will be a day when Jesus says, there'll be no more nations. There'll just be one kingdom, the kingdom of God. So you and I get to live with this eternal hope. It's what we sang about earlier. So we can sing, it is well with my soul in the middle of chaos, in the middle of tension, in the middle of all those things. It comes back to the question that Holly asked. Are we more known by who we will vote for than who we want to live for? told you today. It's probably going to take off many of you. I'm okay with that. Because I feel like I'm a pretty good company. When I look at the words of Jesus, I challenge us to think in terms of, are we seeking oneness and unity for the sake of his kingdom above all others? So here's the question for us. Here's the question. What might happen? What might happen if we decided to love unconditionally, even if we disagree politically? What might happen in our community, in our world, if we're known by our love more so than our politics? And so here's my invitation for you. Come back next week, and we'll continue this conversation. Father, will you help us to be the kind of people who are so radically defined by your love, by your hope, and by your grace? In the middle of uncomfortable conversations and situations and times, we might find that love is what unites us, and we desire desperately to be the kind of people who are so radically defined by hope and grace, and love. As we think about next week, and as we desire to be this unique people, we know that the next week we'll gather at your table, take communion together. And we know that in that, it's a symbolic act of unity. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to become one. We would love unconditionally people from all walks of life. But we'd find that we're more defined by love for you than anything else. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.